This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Hey, looking forward to some time together. I am so glad you're here. Uh, If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it's my privilege to guide us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to engage with God. Hey, happy 40th anniversary over there. Good to see you guys. I love Facebook. I get to find out when couples in our church, 40 years for the Diego. Isn't that cool? That's just fantastic. My goodness. They posted their wedding picture, and I'll be totally honest. If I was there, I would have married Doug, too. He, he is a good-looking, he's a good-looking guy, man. Uh, hey. Now he's checking him out. I saw that. Um, well, whether it's your first time here or your hundredth time here, I just want, I want to welcome you. I am so glad you chose to be here with us. Uh, and I want you to get comfortable. Wherever you are on your journey with God, I want you to just embrace that space. Be comfortable there. Kick your shoes off if you need to. Grab a cup of coffee. Come on in. I believe something to my core. And we as a church believe this to our core, that there is a very real God. And that God's not some distant deity out there who gave us laws and said, no, get to work. But God's more like a, a personal loving, all-powerful, always-present Heavenly Father who's actually with us now, who wants to meet you in this space wherever you are on your journey. And so we just want to prepare a space for you to be able to engage with God because I believe to my core that God's going to engage you this morning. And each week when we start, we get on the same page by grabbing those programs when you walked in, grabbing two things, that card that says start here. It's just a way for you to have access to our pastoral team. So go ahead and get that card out. Put your name on it, your email address if you're a guest with us, and then we'll be using it throughout the day uh, for ways that we can pray for you, uh, for things that we're doing in our church and in our city, ways you can get plugged in with that. So go ahead and get that card ready. You're going to want to grab your teaching notes as well uh, because they've got the Bible verses we're looking at today. They've got some fill in the blanks. They've got some next steps for us as we continue to engage with God. And while you're getting all that ready, I have a confession to make. Uh, I Growing up was not the biggest. I, I didn't even start shaving until like sophomore year of college. Uh, and, but if you remember my beard a few years ago, you know it came back, baby. And it'll be back soon. Don't worry. Don't worry. And I'm sorry to my wife as she's listening. Uh, but I wasn't the biggest. Wasn't the strongest. Wasn't the toughest. Hard to believe. But I had the biggest mouth. Like I was, I was the, Yeah. <laughs> what the devil meant for evil, God used for good. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I was like, I was the mouthpiece of my friends. My friends happened, we, we met in first grade, and my friends happened to grow up to be the biggest and the strongest. They were the football captains, the baseball captains, um, but they weren't the quickest. You know what I mean? So uh, I, was their, I was their mouthpiece. Like when we would see a rival school, I was the one to initiate a lively discussion about which team really was the best, you know, and they'd be standing behind me looking big and tough and strong. And I was standing there in my letterman's jacket that I'm not joking, came down to here on my fingertips, like I was wearing my dad's coat. Uh, When we would see a group of girls that they wanted to talk to, they'd like throw me over there as the delegate from the men's side. And I would go over and enter into conversation with the ladies. And then my friends would come over and they would do, I don't know, they would like flex, you know, they would flex and give me a noogie and then push me out of the way. Um, And I've been to counseling for that. So I'm working through it. But I was their mouthpiece. And and, um, the partnership was I got them into situations they wanted to be in. And when I got myself into situations that I did not want to be in because of my big mouth, the partnership was they always had my back. It didn't matter what I said. 
It didn't matter what I did. They always had my back. So I remember uh, it was my junior year of high school. I had, I had shot my mouth off to some seniors, uh, and they were going to jump me. The word was, after fifth period, I was going to get jumped. So my friends got out of class early. They came to the door of where my class was, and they escorted me to my car so that I could safely drive away in my Volkswagen bug. Um, even though it was my fault, I should not have shot my mouth off to these guys. And yet, my friends protected me, and this followed me into college, um, I remember freshman year at Sonoma State, I, uh, I was playing indoor soccer, and my ability was better than the seniors I was playing. The problem was they were bigger and stronger than me. And I was, I was, I was scoring, we were winning, and I was shooting my mouth off, just going for it, right? Laying into them, reminding them how awesome I was and how they were. I was a brand new in my faith, so you got to let this slide. <laughs> Three days later, I'm coming out of the gym after working out with my two and a half pound weights. I'm coming out of the gym. <laughs> And they're there. These seniors, so I'm 18, they're 22, 23, and they throw me against a wall and they're spitting in my face and they're yelling at me and I'm just waiting, right? And so I went to my friends who were also seniors and I told them what happened and they went and talked to, talked to the guys. I don't know exactly what happened. They talked to the guys uh, and those guys never looked at me again. So I don't know how it went down, but even though it was my fault and it was always my fault, almost always my fault, my friends always had my back and they got me out of trouble even when I got myself in to trouble. And that's going to come into play in just a second, but I'm getting ahead of myself. If you're brand new or if you've been gone on vacation, you're coming back in, uh, we're in this series called God Never Said That. And we're, at, we're taking some, some popular beliefs about things over time that we believe God has said or promised he would do for us. And we're asking the question, did God really say that? Because if we believe God said something or promised something that God never actually promised in the Bible, then when God doesn't come through on his promise or doesn't do what he promised he would do or said he would do, we get hurt, we get disillusioned, we get frustrated with God, with ourselves, with the church. But the truth is God never actually said it. He never promised it. We just had this mistaken idea that God said something he didn't. And so we've been taking these ideas and and looking at the Bible and saying, did God really say that. And today what I want to talk about is this. Did God really say that if you follow him, it's smooth sailing? Like no matter what you do or what you say or the actions you take, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's going to be smooth sailing. The, the question is, is God like a smother mother, right? Um, I don't know if you guys like the movie, the TV show Goldbergs. I love the Goldbergs. It's so funny. But the mom in Goldbergs is a, is a classic smother mother. Like she wants to wrap her kids in bubble wrap to make sure that they never get hurt. And when they get themselves in trouble at school, she races down to the principal's office and she rescues them. And, and she makes sure that nothing bad ever happens to them. Even when they do bad things, she protects them. Is God like a cosmic smother mother? Or if you're my friend Jeff from college who had this hat, that said, Jesus is my homeboy. The question is, is Jesus your homeboy in the sense that he's always got your back no matter what you do, no matter where you go? If we believe that's true, then when we get ourselves in situations and we find wreckage around our lives because of the choices we've made, then we look at God and we point our finger and say, God, yeah, I got myself into this mess. Yeah, I made this mistake, but you were supposed to work it out. You were supposed to iron out the kinks. You were supposed to make it smooth sailing for me. The the interaction was, I gave my life to you. I prayed a prayer. I made a decision. And you need to work everything out. Now, where do we get this idea? 
Well, we get this idea from one of my favorite Bible verses. It's actually, I was going to tattoo this Bible verse on my arm, and then my twin brother found out he tattooed it on his arm first, and I couldn't be that guy with like the matching tattoo of my brother. So I, I didn't do it. But I was going, I was going to get some ink done a number of years ago, and I feel like, oh, I missed out. I missed out. But here's the Bible verse. Again, one of my favorite verses, but if we don't understand what it means, if we don't understand what the author's trying to tell us, then it leaves us thinking that God's just going to smooth everything out for us. And it's Romans chapter 8, verse 28, written by a guy named Paul to a church in Rome. And, and he says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. And here's why this trips us up, because we see words like know and all and good and his purpose. We think, well, yeah, those words sound pretty good. We know that God does everything for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, who will follow his plan. I think a, a common translation in our minds when we read that verse goes something like this. God will make things all good as long as I'm, I follow him. He'll make sure it's all good all the time. Now, I first heard this verse when I was, I was 17, and I was at this, uh, this Christian camp. It was a young life camp, and, and I had, had this faith awakening experience, gave my life to God, and uh, and I had a story. Obviously, I just told you some of my high school experience. And I was getting on this bus to drive home from Sacramento back to Pasadena, where my family lived. And I was really sad, thinking, how am I going to live out this new faith I have in God? Like, what's going to happen? Is it all going to go back to how it used to be? And, and this girl passed me a 3 by 5 card with Romans eight twenty eight on it, which said, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And I thought, thank you, Jesus that had smooth sailing from here on out. And I went home, but I still had all my old baggage, all my old stuff. And I had a girlfriend at the time, but I also had some deep insecurities about myself and this relationship. And one day I was feeling especially insecure. And I thought to myself, how can I feel better? I know if I can get like another girl to have feelings for me besides my girlfriend, then I'll feel better about myself as a guy, as a person. And so I, I kissed this other girl. Big mistake. Here's the thing. Now I had God's spirit living in me and God's spirit was leading me to conviction, right? We talked about that a little while ago. Like, hey, that's not the way we want to live. That's not freedom. Freedom's not found there. So God's spirit convicted me and, um, and I went to this girl, that, my girlfriend that night and said, I'm so sorry. I did this thing. Please forgive me. And she said, well, I forgive you, but I'm also dumping you. Good choice. Good choice, <laughs> right? Good. If you're a teenage girl or guy and, and your boyfriend or girlfriend does that, like, get out now. There's, you're, you, come on, man, just get out. Just get, so she dumped me, but here were her parting words to me. Tears in her eyes. She said, I never thought you would do that to me. Of all the guys I dated, I never thought you would do that to me. And I went home that night, and, and I was crying, right? It's like I just watched a Hallmark commercial. I was bawling. And thinking to myself, God, you promised in Romans 8 that you'll work everything together for good. And I got to tell you, God, this doesn't feel very good right now. This feels bad. I was actually trying to follow you. Yeah, I made a mistake, a mistake. I kind of smooched this other person. And, but I told my girlfriend, I apologized. I asked for forgiveness and she dumped me. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, what's going on? God, where are you? The problem was I did not understand what Paul was trying to say in Romans eight twenty eight. So I want to, uh, for the beginning of our time together, break this verse down and help us try to get to the core of what the author is trying to get to. What's he trying to tell us about God? 
And then I want to talk about some implications of this in our life. Because while God doesn't smooth everything out, he does something even better. When we make mistakes, he doesn't smooth it out. He does something better. So I want to take this first, and I want to, I want to flip it upside down, not literally, but I want to start with the back and then work our way to the top. It says this, if we love God and if we're called according to his purpose. And that's two ways of saying the exact same thing. He's saying this, do you know God? Do you know him as your heavenly father? Do you know him as your, as your leader of your life? Do you know him as your savior? He's saying whatever this promise is going to be in Romans 8, 28, it's not for everybody. It's not a universal promise. It's only for those who love God, who have entered into God's family, who have taken God from distant deity who kind of hangs out out there, who we meet with on Christmas and Easter and maybe once or twice when things get bad. And we've moved God into our lives and we've entered into a personal relationship with him. So this promise is for those of us who have entered into God's family. He says, if you've entered into a partnership relationship with God, then God's going to work for your good. Paul wants us to know God's not a sadist. God's not up in heaven looking down on you thinking, how can I get you? How can I take you out? God is ultimately out for your good and not just for your good. Here's the great thing about God. He's out for my good and your good and your good. And I could go off 400 times or 300 times. He's out for all of our good and for the good of all people who know him. Like God zooms way out and he can actually hold all of humanity in his hands. And he works for our good. And here's how you know that if you're entered into a relationship with God. We just celebrated this in communion. That when God gave his life for us, when Jesus died on a cross for us to pay the penalty for our sin. That was his ultimate act of working for our good. And so Paul's saying, listen, if God would do that, then God's going to work for your good in these smaller things. If he would give his life for you, anyone who would give their life for you, you know that they're out for your good. And that's how he says. He says, we know. And in the original language, that word know, it means like we've experienced it. We've sunk our teeth into it. We, we've perceived it. It's not a theory. He's saying we know it's a fact. It's a fact that God is always working for good in partnership with us. So uh, here's a helpful translation that I, I put together. And this is why, well, one of the many reasons why I didn't write the Bible, because my helpful translation is clunky and not very good. But here's a helpful translation. I, I would say it like this. When we became part of God's family— we experience the reality that God is ultimately partnering with us. And that's huge. He's partnering with us for our good. Now, I was writing this message, and as you can imagine, I can't sit still for very long. So I was at a coffee shop for about three hours writing this message, had a bit of a block, went downtown to downtown Petaluma and sat by the river. And I was writing this message down by the river, and I saw this boat go by. I think we have a picture of it for up on the screens. I saw this boat go by. You can see it in the corner. It's this little tiny fishing boat, and he's cutting up a little wake behind him. And that's where I was, I was working on my message that day. And when I saw this fishing boat, it reminded me of my time with my family. So we grew up water skiing and wakeboarding, and we had a boat, and we loved it. And, uh, and, and if you've ever been water skiing, you know when you launch the boat, there's what's called a no-wake zone, okay? No-wake zone means you can't go fast in this area. Too many people, too many boats, too shallow, too many rocks. Uh, and there were buoys clearly marked, no-wake zone, no-wake zone, no-wake zone. So everyone would get to the buoys where the no-wake zone ended, and then psh, take off. And there was a gas station at this dock where we'd go water skiing and wakeboarding. And he had like a megaphone. The gas station attendant had a megaphone. 
And if you were going too fast in the no-wake zone, if you were making a wake, he would call out to you, this is a no-wake zone. And if you kept on going, he'd say, white sea swirl, this is a no-wake zone. And it was like you were on blast in front of everybody. Now, you would assume that would be enough for my family. Like, okay, there are buoys telling people there's a no-wake zone. There is a person watching to make sure no one's going fast. But my dad, my dad, being the ever-helpful person that he is, he felt like it was his responsibility, in case the person in the, um, in the gas station didn't catch it, his responsibility to shout at other boats. This is a no-wake zone! So here's how this played out. If you can picture this, like, here's the seat, here's the steering wheel, and here's my dad standing up in our boat, cruising out, and we'd be sitting in the front, and he'd just be watching, 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 watching. And he'd see a boco too fast, and he, I don't know if he thought, like, they must not know. They must not know. They must not see the buoys, right? Yeah, my dad's a principal, so that just gives you some insight. So he'd be watching. He looked at the gas station like, uh, do you see what's happening? They're cutting a wake. If the guy didn't call out in time, my dad would be like, hey, buddy, Hey, hey, it's a no-wake zone. This is a, this is a no-wake zone, like, for the safety of all. And we would just sink deeper and deeper into the boat, like, oh, sweet Lord, help us, help us. But no-wake zone, pal, no-wake zone. And as I was, I was watching this boat go by, I was thinking to myself, that's a no-wake zone. Uh, I don't know if it is or not, but something in me wanted to shout out just to help him out. But it got me thinking, actually, about, about this message I was writing today and about sin. And when I say the word sin, I mean the things that we think, that we say, and that we do that are destructive, that hurt us, that hurt other people. Ultimately, if you believe that there is a perfect God that separates you from that perfect God, but even if you don't at this point believe there's a God, you know what sin is because it violates your own standards, you know, like you lay in bed and you think, why, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? That's, that's sin. But the problem with sin is it's actually something that's inside of us. And until we have uh, God with us who's more powerful than sin, sin keeps like spitting up onto us. So we think I'm never going to do that again or say that again or go there again. And then a week later, a month later, we're doing it. We're saying it. We're going there. We're we're drinking it, we're smoking it, we're looking at her, we're watching that thing. We're, and we think, why am I doing this? Well, that's sin. That's sin. And the thing about sin is, if you picture your life like that boat, all sin leaves a wake of destruction. All sin leaves a wake of destruction in our lives. Now, some sin, the wake is tiny, like this little tiny boat, very cute, little ripples. Birdies are flittering over. But it's still a wake of destruction. Someone's been hurt. We've been hurt. We've separated ourselves from God a little bit. Something's happened. But some sin is big. Some sin's like the Queen Mary going down the Petaluma River. And the wake is so large that it just destroys everything in its path. And some of us have experienced that kind of life-changing, relationship-ending, deep-grieving sin in our lives. So the question becomes, when we do that, because all sin leaves awake, all sin leaves a wake of destruction. If you look in your rearview mirror, all sin leaves a wake of destruction. How is God working for good? If he's not going to just come smooth the waters, how is God working for good in the midst of that? And that's what I want to talk about today. And the first thing God does is God is proactive with us, with sin. God gives us buoys, and he gives us a guy in the gas station. And this is what I mean. God gives us guidelines in the Bible. 
And he gives us guidelines through his Holy Spirit before we cause a wake of destruction. And he does it to lead us to God's best. So if you think about the Bible um, as clearly posted buoys that say no-wake zone, like don't go too fast here, it's a no-wake zone, the Bible is great. It's like, it's like a guidebook for life. It's a way that we partner with God as he guides us through life. And if you reduce the Bible down just to laws or rules, two things happen that are dangerous. One, you don't need God if you just have rules. And two, you don't need your brain if you just have rules. I guess there's three bad things. And three, there's always loopholes around rules. Always. It's like, well, how big was the wake? Was the wake really that big? I don't know. It's a, never mind. If you're not a boat person, what I'm about to say doesn't really matter to you. But I was getting into wakeboarding mode, okay? It was like a deep V or, you know, whatever. Sorry, I digress. But the Bible's not just a rule book. So we turn our brains off. The Bible's a guidebook. It's the way God guides us. We still have to use our brains. We still have to keep a lookout and say, oh, it's shallow right there. Oh, there's other boaters here. Oh, but God gives us guidelines in the Bible. He says, hey, this is a no-wake zone. If you, if you kick up a wake in this area of your life by sinning, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your spouse. It's going to hurt your career. It's, it's, it's going to cripple you with insecurity. This is the way that God is, is always working for our good proactively. And then God gives us his Holy Spirit as we enter into God's family. God's Spirit lives in us and whispers to us and sometimes shouts to us, hey, that's a no-wake zone. Don't go too fast right there. Don't push on the gas. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to work. And this is where my analogy breaks down because I don't know who my dad is in this story. I think maybe my dad is like churches who are screaming at you, you stink, maybe. I don't know. But that's too harsh for my dad. So, dad, I love you. If you're listening to this, the analogy breaks down there. But God gives us his spirit, and his spirit prompts us before we kick up a wake. He prompts us, don't do it. Don't do it. And the more we're sensitive, the more we're aware of God's leading, the more we can look around us and see, okay, this is not a good place to kick up a wake. But what do we do? Because I think most of us would agree to that. What do we do when we kick up a wake? whether it's unintentional, we just missed the buoys, or we didn't hear the sounds, or it's intentional. What do you do if you saw the no-wake zone buoys, but you're like, I'm just going to go ahead because that does not pertain to me. That buoy is great for the rest of them, but I have a different relationship with God. And you know what? I know which wakes are okay for me to take, so I'm just going to push on the gas and I'm going to cut a wake. What do we do when we've cut a wake and we have rough waters and the destruction seems really bad? Because sin's a serious thing. It's a serious thing. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. That's pretty heavy. All sin leaves a wake of destruction. All sin leads us places we don't want to go. But here's the great news. And this is how God is constantly working for our good. Even, even when we kick up a wake, even when we kick up a wake of our own doing intentionally, God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't look at you and say, hey, I gave you the Bible. You knew the guidelines. He doesn't say, I gave you my spirit. I was, I was screaming at you. Don't do it. Don't do it. He doesn't say, now go fix it. No, God, God looks at us. He says, I love you. I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to run. You think I am, but I'm not. Now, some of us, when we look in the rearview mirror of our life, we see the wake 
We see the destruction. We see the pain. And we think, I'm going to give up on me. I've screwed it up too much. That moral failure, that's ended my life. That choice I made, that's it. I've screwed up my finances too much, and we give up on us. But the great thing about God is God never gives up on you. Never, ever, ever. What God doesn't do is he doesn't smooth it out. He does something better. What God does is he jumps in the boat. He says, hey, there's rough waters ahead. You've been, you've been navigating this boat on your own. You got yourself in some shaky water. I'm going to jump in the boat with you, and I'm going to ride this out together. My little man, Landon, was here with me this morning. He's five, and, uh, and he just loves to help out around the church. I love that. Maria, my wife, was on worship, so Maddie and Landon were here with us, and Landon was helping her out around the church. He went into the bathroom, and, uh, and he, he took care of business, and then he came out, and I got down on my knees to give him a big hug, and he said, Dad, Dad, those little orange things in the place where you go pee, you know those orange things where you go pee? He's talking about the urinal cakes. You know those things? He's like, Dad, they were all at weird angles. So, so I, just, I just, I fixed them all. I straightened them out. He's saying this to me as he's coming forward for a big old hug. As a, as a, as a no wake zone. Now, what does a, what does a good dad do? What's a good dad do? He hugs them. He. he don't worry. Those of you who hugged me, don't worry. I hugged him, but I kept his hands clear, okay? But I hugged him, and I said, buddy, thank you for the help. That was, wow, that was really kind. Now, in the future, I said, in the future, very relaxed, people go pee-pee in there, and it's kind of yucky, so we don't really want to touch those things. But let's go into the bathroom, and let's wash your hands. And we, like, fully disinfected. Like, I'm ready for surgery right now. We were, I was scrubbing myself. I was scrubbing him. I was, like, rubbing my face. Uh, when, when we sin and we have a wake of destruction behind us, some of us assume that God jumps ship, that God runs away and that God says, ooh, ooh, you're, that is disgusting. You are disgusting. How could you do that? That's not what God does. God hops in the boat and he guides us kind of like I guided Landon. I just hopped in the boat with him. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, having urine all over your hands. I just kept reminding myself, it's sterile. It's sterile. You know, like you could drink it once and get nutrients. It's sterile. That's true, by the way. It's sterile. So how does God get in the boat? How's he get in the boat? Well, he gives us his spirit that he says, we'll never leave you. He says, I will never leave you, even when you cause a wake. And then he uses his spirit to guide us we're told in John 14, he leads us to truth. He leads us to truth. Have you ever had one of those moments where you got, you got a wake behind you and everything seems good, and then you realize, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is wrong. This is not, this is not helpful. That's the Holy Spirit tapping you and saying, hey, I want to give you a little bit of insight. I want to lead you to truth. That's not the way to go. Now, he doesn't condemn us. Remember, we talked about this, we've talked about this over and over again. The devil condemns us. The devil says, you know that thing you did? You know that wake behind you? You're the sum and total of your biggest mistake. And it's your job to get yourself out of this wake. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit 
leads us to truth, gives us conviction to change our thoughts so that we can get to smoother waters. That's what he does. But he doesn't stop there. He reminds us that we're forgiven and that we're children of God. This is huge, guys. Because oftentimes when we look in our rear view and we realize we've kicked up a wake and it's a doozy, I mean, we're talking Queen Mary size wake, our tendency is to think, I've blown it too bad for God to accept me right now. I'm out. I'm done. So what do we do? We run from God. We, we hide from the church. Your friends and life group are calling you. You decline their calls. Why? Because we assume that we've blown it too bad, that we're on the outs, that if they really knew, if people really saw, that they wouldn't accept us. But that's not the truth of God. God wants to remind you of the words that uh, he says in Galatians chapter 4, that because you're his sons and daughters, God gives you his spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts, and that spirit calls out, Abba, Father. That word Abba means daddy. It's a phrase that little children would use for their dad in the ancient world. That even in the midst of our junk, of our wake, our garbage, the spirit reminds us that God is He's our dad, so that we can run to him. He says, you're no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you're his child, you're also an heir to the throne. So God leads us to truth. He reminds us that we are forgiven in the midst of our wake. And then his spirit empowers us to make it through the waves. And this is where the power of God really comes through. God's spirit empowers us. He gives us humility to go back and say, I blew it. I am so sorry. He gives us boldness and courage to look at the underlying issues that caused the wake. Man, I was so encouraged last week talking about forgiveness. And I talked about various levels of forgiveness and said, sometimes there are relationships that that just keep going in these cycles of brokenness and you can't fix it no matter how bad you want to. I said, and sometimes we've just been, we've been wronged so deeply and hurt so deeply that it's cut cut us all the way to our core. And in those situations, I suggested try counseling. Allow a a Christian therapist to speak God's truth into your life to get to the deep stuff going on. And I was so encouraged by how many people were courageous enough to reach out and try going to counseling. I I personally love counseling. I've been a, a couple different times, and I'll just be totally honest with you. It takes a brave person to walk into someone's office and say, hey, I want I want to figure out what's going on in here because I want to be better in life. Some people view counseling as a sign of weakness, and I've talked to some of you who are a little bit embarrassed, like, I don't know why I'm going to counseling. I see counseling as a sign of strength. When God's Spirit leads us, he gives us strength and boldness to to take those steps to find healing, to take that step to go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting or an SA meeting and to get the help you need. That is strength given by God's Spirit. That's boldness. It takes God's spirit and strength to confess a secret sin when the waves are starting to kick up. And then I love the way God rounds it out. We're told that God comforts us. He comforts us in the midst of the waves. I like the way that Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. He says, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in their times of troubles, the way we receive comfort from God. That word comfort means come alongside. 
encourage, empower, console, strengthen, come forth. When you think about God, are those the words you think about? When you've got a wake in your life, and it's a big one, and you're in rough waters, do you know that God wants to comfort you in the midst of that? I'm going to say something right now that's, that if it, doesn't, if it doesn't upset someone, uh, you're just not listening, okay? You're just not listening. Did you know that God wants to comfort you even when the wake is your fault? Now let that sink in. We know God wants to comfort us when other people hurt us. We could all probably sign on to that. Did you know that God is the God of all comfort who wants to comfort you even when the wake is the wake of your own doing? You did it. You said it. You yelled at them. You made that choice. God leads us to truth. He reminds us that we're forgiven, and then he comforts us as we ride through the wake, even if we caused it, as he leads us to smooth sailing. I remember being a kid, and my brother's allergic. I have a twin brother, a tattoo stealer. Um, he was, he's allergic to bees, and so he had this EpiPen, and it was one of these that if you, if you push it um, into your jeans, into your thigh, if you get stung, it shoots a needle down through your jeans and into your thigh and then shoots whatever that stuff is that you need so you don't, like, close up and die. Epinephrine, thank you. Um, and, uh, and I thought, that is so cool. Like, he's got this thing, you just push it, and it shoots right out. That is fantastic. Like, I wonder what that would look like. So one night, my parents are doing dishes, cleaning up. I was probably, like, eight years old, and I grab his EpiPen, uh, and, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, dude, there's a little button here. Fantastic. So I just, I just boop, I push it, thinking it's going to shoot this way. No, no. When you push it, it actually shoots this way because you're supposed to shove it into your leg and that's how it shoots down. So I push it and the needle goes right through my thumb, through my thumbnail and starts shooting epinephrine out the top. Like, woohoo! <laughs> I'm standing here like this. Ah, 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 mom! And my mom, just being, she was not a smother mother. She was a health tech. She had seen broken bones a lot. So she's like, huh, look at you. That's fun. <laughs> So she takes the pin and she's like, and I'm not joking. I took my my mouth immediately and I blew and I could like blow air through my finger. It was fantastic. It was such a neat thing. How many of us, how many of us as parents would look at our kids? Now that was my own doing. I should not have been playing with the EpiPen. They probably told me that a couple times, I'm guessing should not have pushed the button. It was my fault I was in so much pain. My fault. But how many of us who are good parents would look at your kids and be like, your fault. (laughs) Fix it. Like, no, no. They comforted me. They corrected me. They cared for me. Did you know God is like a heavenly father? That even when it's your fault, he comforts you. He cares for you. He corrects us. He guides us because he doesn't want us living in those waves any longer, but, but he comforts us. And then he, he, he envelops us. I like that word. He envelops us in community. A community of people who can ride the waves together. Verse 4 says God comforts us so that we can comfort others, so that we can speak his grace and his truth into people's lives when shame is creeping at the door, so that we can get in the boat with them and ride through the waves with them and tell them that even though you made a mistake, you're not the sum and total of your mistake. There's so much I want to get into about community. I'm probably, uh, don't mark your calendar yet, but I'm probably in the spring going to do a whole series 
about what community actually looks like and spend like eight or ten weeks just talking about, in the Bible, there's these things called one another's, like love one another, serve one another, care for one another, correct one another, train one another. What does that mean? So we might actually dig into that because there's so much about community. But I will say this, over and over again in the Bible, we see that community is key for freedom. And God invites us to be part of a community where we can be who we are, even in our waves. And that's what I hope new life is for you. I hope it's a church where you can be who you are, even in the midst of your waves. And you can come in when the waves are big, and you can come in when it's smooth sailing, and you can find a home here, and you can find a small group or a life group here to partner with you. So does God just smooth it out when we make mistakes? No. No. It's better than that. When we cause a wake in our lives, God gets in the boat. He rides the waves with us. I want to ask you a question as we wrap our time up together. Have you ever invited God into the boat? I'm not talking about situationally. I'm talking about big picture. Have you ever said to God, God, I'm done treating you as a a deity who sits over there. I want to know you as my heavenly father. I want to invite you into the boat of my life for the smooth sailing, for the rough sailing. I want, to, I want to live life with you. I want to experience your forgiveness and your grace. I want your spirit to live in me. Have you ever invited God into the boat? Because if you never have, I want to give you a chance to do that right now as we wrap our time up. Just to say to God, God, I want to walk in a relationship with you. I want to know you the way that we talk about you on Sundays. I want to experience life with you. If you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to close our time in prayer. And I'm going to give you a chance to pray and invite God to guide you on this journey. So would you join me as we pray together? And if you're ready to invite God into your boat, to experience life with him, to make him your your leader, your savior, your heavenly father, if you're ready to start that journey with him, you can repeat the simple prayer where you would say that to God. You could just say, Lord Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you because I believe that you love me deeply. I believe that you love me so much that you actually gave your life for me because you're out for my good. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me how to walk with you every day from this day forward? through the smooth sailing and the rough waters. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.